The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. You're listening to Just Some Podcasts, and here's your hosts, Ben and Tom. Welcome to episode three of Just Some Podcasts for Advanced Practitioners. I'm Ben, and I'm here with Tom. Tom, how are you? I'm doing great today. How are you doing, Ben? Oh, not too bad. How was your week? Week was good. Week was good. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that we're recording on September 11th, and this day and everything that means to us and just thinking about where i was when september 11 2001 happened so where were you i was still living with my parents in hawaii at the time just between pearl harbor and fort shafter which is the army pacific headquarters and just kind of watching the world go on from there i will also mention that it was only i want to say either 4 15 or 5 15 in the morning so when I got woke up from a kick in the door from my father saying, turn on the television, it was a very different experience than everybody else that was just watching it on TV. Like I got suddenly woke up like a SWAT team was kicking in my bedroom door. And <laughs> then uh, then I turned on the television and found that out. So it, my day went upside down from literally the beginning. Yeah, I uh, was actually working for a local sheriff's department as a 911 dispatcher at the time. I had actually gotten off work the night before because I worked midnight shifts. And so I got woken up to the news of, you know, the tragic event that happened uh, in New York and D.C. and Pennsylvania. And then I can remember that night just glued to the television while dispatching and, and just watching everything unfold. It was, it was surreal to watch. And I think both of us having military families and being military dependents ourselves it it was a realization that struck us maybe more clearly than other people that our lives completely had changed like there was no doubt to anyone living on Oahu in between you know the Pacific Army headquarters the Pacific Air Force and Pacific Navy headquarters it was pretty clear the writing was on the wall you know the world was now at war and we were going to it and we were going to be directly putting our loved ones in harm's way i completely remember that day i remember everything about it it was it was a uh, an incredible day to watch the might uh, i will say the pacific air force is incredible they usually have regulations that prevent them from hitting certain speeds at certain altitudes which apparently go completely out the door in times of war, <laughs> good to know. And they were, they were hitting uh, speeds of sound not that far over everyone's head. So it was a. Uh, you think you understand the power of those machines until they go over your head that fast, and you get a whole new sense of appreciation for what they can do. Uh, yeah, I shared something on my personal Facebook today about nine twelve. Not necessarily wanting another 9-11, certainly. I mean, we would never want anything like that again. But just the the patriotism and the oneness of the United States, and we all come together, and we weren't Republicans and Democrats, and we weren't 
bitching about Nike or we weren't doing anything else. We were just standing up for each other. And there was this love for your neighbor that we have not seen since that time. Not to get political, because we, ha- we don't want to do that. No, we don't want to get political, but I have seen multiple people post that, and I think most rational people would say 100% agree that, unfortunately, it took an event like 9-11 to bring us together, and short of it happening again, I don't know if we will be that together again. But... Enough of the depressing stuff. <laughs> yeah. Now that we've passed through that light opener, let's get on to the topics at hand, shall we? Yeah, so... Stories you may have missed. Uh, Tom, you actually found one that I had not heard, and this was kind of interesting to me. Yeah, I found this completely by accident, and if somebody else finds out some more information, feel free to contact us and let us know what we got wrong on this. Roughly a couple years ago, a young man was on a family or skiing trip in, I believe, Switzerland, was caught in an avalanche, which that must suck. I wonder if, hey, maybe we could do a topic on that one day on traumatic hypoxia or something that would be so, interesting i don't know that, that we have a very large sample size but <laughs> maybe yeah, a very short show it's cold and cold and lots of pressure so there you go i think we just covered it actually <laughs> so he was trapped for at least 15 minutes all physicians said he was completely you know became hypoxic and was trapped without air for for roughly 15 minutes obviously he had a small supply he was rescued and showed every sign of complete recovery. He Which is also good. happened to be Yeah, oh yeah, that's great. Happy for him. World's moving forwards. He's having a great day. He survived an avalanche. He should buy a lottery ticket at this point. Yeah, absolutely. He was an avid Sudoku player and noticed every time he started playing Sudoku, he began losing control of his left arm. Through That some... can be a problem, especially if you're left handed. <laughs> Yeah, you lefties already have enough problems. I don't think your your arm having seizures is going to help you guys anymore. That's true. I mean, you're going to smear the ink even worse than you normally do. <laughs> so his physicians, looking into the situation at hand, decided to do some testing and found out that the part of his brain, uh, or part of his brain, that was involved in the three-dimensional thinking for Sudoku was damaged from the hypoxic state and therefore was causing him to basically have many seizures, which was causing him to lose control of his left hand. So the Sudoku was inducing seizures? Well, from watching other people play it, I think that's a normal state, but this one actually made him lose the ability to control his left arm. I, I really don't know what to add to that. that that's interesting. Well, on a uh, happy note at the end of the story... The young man made a complete recovery. He has not since had any seizures. However, he had to give up his love for Sudoku and can no longer play it. You would think, though, and this is the only part of the story that they didn't really go into, but you would think that there would be other things in life that would trigger that part of his brain. You would think. I mean, at what point... I am not a neuroscientist, okay? If you are a neuroscientist and you're listening to this, please let me know. But I really, really doubt there is, like, two neurons out there dedicated to just Sudoku, okay? I mean, I don't think that's how this works. But there might be, and those two Maybe. on me are burnout. I I cannot play Sudoku. I, I, the game pisses me off. 
I'll tell I, you so right now, if that's true and I don't win the Nobel Peace Prize, I'm going to be very angry. I will not go to any more Nobel Peace Prize ceremonies if I do not win it for this uh, prize-winning work I am doing right here. How many of those have you attended thus far? That's not really the question, man. The question is, I figured out there are specific neurons for play Sudoku. Somebody should be giving me a prize. Okay, I'm just throwing that out there. If there's anybody out there that wants to give Tom a prize, you get hold of us on our social media or our website. Yeah, we have a website, an Instagram, a Twitter, and a Facebook. Uh, Please, feel free to give me my prize as soon as possible. I need the validation. And... I believe, as we discussed on previous episodes, that whole uh, epi- you know, grandiose thinking. Well, it's not grandiose when it's me. It's just true. So, All right. Well, after the break, we're going to get into our main topic tonight. So I'm just going to go past that. <laughs> this is going to be another one that has been requested uh, by several people, and that is, what the hell do you do when you get out of school? Some schools cover it really well. Some schools don't cover it. And then you're kind of left scrambling trying to figure out what you're supposed to do in order to make that transition from student to practitioner. So after the break, we're going to cover that. Hey, everybody. This is Tom. And Ben. And I was just letting everybody know that we have several social media sites. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Just Some Podcast. So please, let us know you're listening, and we look forward to hearing from you. All right, and we're back from the commercial of ourselves because this is only episode three and we don't have any sponsors still tommy's still here with us i'm still here and i'm still waiting for my nobel peace prize well it was only a 15 second break so but i do want to walk back one thing that we did talk about in a previous episode we had mentioned or i'd posed the question to you if getting bit by a spider would turn me into spider-man apparently sam our regional fact checker did some checking on that turns out that that is not correct that was just in the comic books so therefore i would personally like to extend an apology to anybody who may have intentionally got bit by a spider trying to turn themselves into spider-man that is an actual icd-10 code for those of you who are paying attention that is t as in tom 63.302 and i'm just saying if sam comes to me and tells me that people that work around radiation won't turn into the hulk I'm going to need some more proof, Sam. Just get on it. So, let's get into our main topic tonight. We're going to go over the things that Ben and I have discussed amongst ourselves and with other new and experienced nurse practitioners and physician's assistants about the things that we think are important for you post-graduation or becoming a new NP or PA. These are the the top things that we have decided what you need to do and how you should probably do them. Now, to preface this, we should say that, one, it's not always going to go in this order, okay? So we're going to go in the order that we felt was important, but, you know, life throws you curveballs, and so you're going to have to adjust and adapt as it comes along, or you might be in a very special or specific situation. So just kind of realize that we're talking about this in a general order and we're not saying you have to do it this way you're a excited nurse practitioner or pa student and you're getting ready to get out of school and what the hell do i need to do now well the first step and probably you know one of the most important steps is you gotta graduate that would be key yes to graduate and i know that sounds real simple 
But that last semester or that last couple weeks coming into the graduation cycle, people start thinking ahead. They start going, oh, what am I going to do about this or that? Whoa, slow your roll. You actually need to finish school first before you can do anything else. You're worried about step 492 in the process, but you haven't done step one. Okay, graduation and taking care of everything you need for graduation because you really don't want to come to that last week and they go, oh, by the way, you're one credit short. Or you're at an 89.9, and you need a 90 to pass. Well, a few of us have been been in that position in, uh, throughout our nursing school and education process, but you will make it. So, the first thing you do, graduate. Yay. So I have uh, so I've graduated, walked across the stage, got my diploma. What's the next step for me? Well, the next step, my suggestion, is take a breath. You don't necessarily need to do anything that minute enjoy the time that you have with your family your friends and i'm not saying that you can't work on other things while you're doing it but what i'm trying to say is you have just spent the last several years of your life compressed together working your tail off taking a a breather or at least acknowledging the work that you did is an important thing to do for yourself that's right i mean i personally i threw a hell of a party after I graduated because it was done. I was done. I was ready to take a breath. I had sacrificed a lot of time with family and friends. I just wanted everybody to get together, have a couple of adult beverages, listen to some music, and have a good time. It's always important to remember also the people in your life that supported you and made you going through school possible. I'm not saying that there are not individuals out there that are possibly doing this entire process by themselves. And God bless you if you are. For the rest of us, though, we have a family, friend, support chain and cycle that is making it possible for us to get through this program or getting through the program we went through. And it's important for us to acknowledge them as well. So don't forget the people that got you to where you're going. All right. So you've graduated. You've taken a breath. Now you move into board prep. you got to be board certified. There are lots and lots of board prep options out there, right, Tom? Lots. Uh, As a matter of fact, there are more ways than we could have possibly researched for this. You have apps for your phone. You have books. You have programs. You have websites. You have live reviews. There are tried-and-true ones. There are ones that nobody has ever heard of before. Not going to, you know, support or say any which ones that are better than others. Just kind of take a look at not just the reputation of who you're going with, but how long have they been in the business? How many courses have they taught? What have they done? Because like I said, there are lots, lots and lots of these websites, apps, etc. popping up. Some of them are just going to take your money and regurgitate the same information. So know what you're getting when you you look into it. So do you think there's any that will uh, come to my house personally? and ensure that I learn this through through osmosis or whatever. Do you think there's a site out there for that? I think there is, but I don't make enough money to hire them. And to be quite frank, if you had enough money to pay that person to do that, why are you going (laughs) into a nurse practitioner as a profession? Like, you'd have to be a millionaire to start off with. Well, fair enough, I guess. But I think all of us, and I think Ben went through it a little differently than I did. I think, Ben, you went through... A live course, correct? Yes, that's the school that I went to, a university that I went to. 
they sponsored a Fitzgerald course, and so it was a live two-day course, I believe, two- or three-day course that was very intense, and you got the book, and then you ended up studying the book even after taking the course. And Tom, what did you do? I did not do a live review course. I did have the opportunity to do that. My school did not have a specific recommendation, so I had to research everything on my own. And I ended up going with APEA because they had an app for your phone and I do lots of driving. So it was very convenient for me to be able to plug that into my car and listen to it like a podcast as I was driving around. The second thing I did was I bought a review course book and thoroughly went through that over and over and over. The thing I would point out when it comes to board prep is the importance of consistency and focusing on what you have. I think it would serve the student better to focus on one, maybe two sources of information and thoroughly dive into those one or two things than, oh, I have 15. You're you're probably going to get lots of the same information, and you're probably not going to get as thorough an explanation or time to go through that if you go through all 15. Pick one or two, stick with them, and work their systems. Yeah, and I had a student who I after finished precepting with me, was very intense into the board prep. I think he kind of went overboard with it. Just too much, and I think, and I, I kind of pulled him aside privately, I'm like, I think you're frying your brain. Like, I think you're just thinking too hard about the board prep to the point that you're going to psych your brain out to the point that you're not going to know anything when you go in to actually take the test. And that is a very real situation that people need to realize when, when they're doing this. You are not going to die. Well, I guess I guess you could die, but you're not going to die because you failed the test. You're not going to stop breathing. Your wife or husband is not going to stop loving you. I know myself, I had worked myself up into a frenzy, much like this person. And it got to the point where I had convinced myself, like, my entire world was writing on this. And while this board and this prep are very important and they're vital, obviously, to your future moving forwards, it is still a certification test you will make it through it. So that is, I think, figuring out a way to de-stress is a exercise, yoga, whatever it is you need to do to give yourself some stability while you're prepping for boards is as key and important factor as learning the information. So I'm all prepped up for boards, Tom. I'm ready to go. What test do I do? What's the difference? I mean, there's well, there's two tests, right, for nurse there, practitioners. There are two tests, and we're, we're focusing on nurse practitioners, PAs, if you're out there listening, we're going to include you, but we're both NPs, so we kind of know that facet a little better. There are two, the AANP and the ANCC. The tests themselves are actually very different, but they lead to the same goal, which is nurse practitioner certification. The AANP is 150 questions, and it is all multiple choice, and it is all clinical-based information. The ANCC is 200 questions, but it is a mix and variety of delivery and format and information. ANCC will also ask you questions like types of research, leadership theory. It will also have actual mix and match questions. It's not just all A, B, C, or D. Or uh, I remember there were two for me on ANCC where it was describing symptoms and you actually had to click on that part of the body that was going to correspond or you were going to palpate first. So it was, a, it was a little different test, but at the end of the day, if you're AANP or ANCC, you're still certified. 
the credentials are a little different, but that's about the biggest difference between the two boards. And in looking for PAs, because I tried to do some research because we want to include our PA brethren and sisterin. That's not a word. Sisterin. Sisterin. Sam, can you uh, check on that? Is sisterin a word? Get back to us. Appreciate that. Uh, they are certified through the National Commission on Certification of Physician Assistants, the NCCPA, and that's who they go through for their certification. In my research, it's a uh, 300 question, multiple choice, multiple choice questions. Did you just make up another word? That's that, or I'm just tongue tied. One of the two. Through their maintenance, they actually are as of 2014, they're transitioning to a 10 year certification cycle which is divided into five two-year periods. And during each two-year period, they have to submit 100 CMEs, and they have to submit certification maintenance fee of $130 to the NCCPA at the end of that certification year. So again, the big difference between NPs and PAs at this point is once we take our test and we are certified, depending on which body we go through, we are certified nurse practitioners. And as long as we maintain our licensure, we are good to go. PAs, on the other hand have to continually re hit the mic we have to continually re they have to continually recertify as well as do their continuing education i guess it would also be uh semi-important at this point to note that nps are run through their state's board of nursing and that physician assistants are generally ran through their state's uh, board of healing arts which is who certifies and regulates uh, physicians right 43 states PAs are regulated by the medical board of that state. In eight states, they actually have their own separate independent regulatory board. Once you get to the point of taking the test that day, I can tell you it is a stressful, stressful day. They do not play around about security at these places. No. You have to empty your pockets. From what I remember, they take your picture. They have you step six feet away to the lockers. You have to empty all your pockets. They come back. You tell them your name again. They look at the picture they just took. You've not left the room. They look at the picture that you they just took of you and compare that to you to make sure that you didn't metamorphosize into something else while you're emptying your pockets, apparently. I can tell you with 100% truth and accuracy for my first degree was actually in criminal justice before I was a nurse. And I had to visit El Dorado Supermax prison in Kansas as part of a class. It was easier to get in and out of El Dorado's Supermax prison than it was to get in and out of the uh, board uh, certification room. That is not a joke. They take it very seriously for all you students who are looking forward to taking board soon. And not only is that stressful, I would tell you, make it as easy on yourself as possible. If you have not, if you don't know where that test site is, travel to that test site if it's possible. If you're traveling for two or three hours, obviously that may or not may or may not be a feasible thing for you to do. But if you live in a bigger city and you are able to travel to your test site, go to your test site. Know the routes. Know if there's any traffic. You know, have a program into your Garmin the night before. Whatever it is you need to do, you do not need anything else on your brain going into this test. You need to be able to focus and not have any other concerns. Did you say Garmin? Is Garmin still a company? Yes, Garmin is still a company. I use Garmin all the time. That is not, not that they're sponsoring us, but if they want to. But I know a lot of people use their phones, but I listen to like a lot of podcasts and stuff like that on my phone. So if I'm going to be going far enough that I'm going to be dedicated to directions, 
I like the the standalone myself. That's me. Because I get really annoyed when every six minutes I'm listening to a really good podcast and then all of a sudden it's one mile ahead. Take exit. I'm like, God damn it. Stop doing that every time I'm in the middle of this story. All right, fine. So, so now you've taken boards. You get your results immediately. And I believe that's for both AANP and ANCC. I'm not sure. I'm yes, the uh, I apologize for not knowing that. Well, I will tell you, so AANP, they print the results out on paper and hand it to you right there, which my understanding is you have to stand there and you are watching this paper print out. You can't see what it says, but you know the results are literally like a foot away and you have to wait for that person to turn around and grab them and hand them to you. Not the funniest thing in the world. For ANCC, they are paperless, or at least they said at our test site we were paperless. They were going to send, it will pop up on your computer post-test, and then it will send it to you in an email. So, quick story about what happened to me at the end of my test. You can flag questions during the NP testing. I don't know for PAs. I'm assuming it's similar. But for nurse practitioners under testing, you can pick questions to review again before the end of your test. I had chose to flag three or four questions, and I was going through the first one, and I was debating the answer back and forth in my head, which you're not supposed to do. And yeah, I realized that, and I said, okay, well, screw it. I've already answered my questions. Let's just get out of this. So I'm like, done. And it's like, are you sure you want to be done? Like, yeah, click. Are you really sure? Yes, click. Well, if you do this, you can't go back. I'm like, no kidding. That's what I want. Click. So this happened multiple times. And then with no warning, boom, results pass, you know, results. You have passed, flashed up on my screen. It happened so quick, I literally just sat there for a minute, had to look away from the screen and look back because I thought my eyes were playing tricks on me. So that's not the official. And and just in case you're wondering, pass or fail, though I never heard of them reversing them, but those are not the official results. They will send you an email. They say they have up to 24 hours, but usually within 30 minutes, you're going to get an email with your official. You have passed. You have failed when you do ANCC. Like I said, A&P, you're going to get that. They're going to hand it to you before you leave your test site. So you got your boards, you passed, now you need to get licensed, right, Tom? Yes, licensing is the basis of everything we're doing here. So you did all this work, but none of it matters if you don't have a license. That's true. And a lot of that is going to depend upon the state or area that you're practicing in. Certain states, are you're allowed to do certain things. There are states out there with independent practice. There are states where you have to have a collaborative practice agreement. There are states where you're regulated by both the Board of Healing Arts and the Board of Nursing. So you need to know the specifics for your state. And that would be a good thing to know in between your prep and your your board area. If you want to look into that, that's fine. Or if you just are like, hey, I'll take a day or two after I pass, that's great. Either way, is not going to hurt you, okay? If 24 hours is you think going to make the difference between getting a job or not, you are incorrect, just relax. It's still going to be there or not, you know, whichever one, but it, 24 hours is going to make that big a difference. Know what you got to go into and exactly where you need to get because it can be real frustrating. Um, I know my state's website was not the easiest for me to navigate. Not that I couldn't find it. I could find everything I needed. I just couldn't get the information to pop up on my screen so I could print it off so I could mail it in. So it was like click right here. Well, every time I clicked on it, it would just lead me to a different a different part of the website. So just relax. You're going to have to go in. You're going to have to know what you need for licensure. But 
you can't really do anything else until you have that. So that's why we made that the next step. That's the next most critical part is getting that actual board of nursing license that says you are a certified nurse practitioner. And sometimes with that, what you'll have to do is submit, of course, uh, evidence that you graduated and evidence that you passed boards in most states. And most states, yeah, most states will require you to put in, you took AAMP, you took ANCC, etc., and then it'll go from there. And I, you know, in Kansas, I know we had to be fingerprinted. Did, was that the same for Ohio? You know, honestly, I don't remember right off the top of my head. That's a really good question. I don't think so. I think because when we do our RN, we go through that entire process. So they, I guess they assume we have those already on file. What you do have to like submit for like a background check and stuff like that, if I remember correctly. But no, none of, none of the fingerprints or anything like that. So state-specific regulations, rules, etc. Because like I said, where I live now in Ohio, it's real easy to get to wherever I need. The offices are real close. You live in somewhere that's more rural, like south dakota and i'm not bashing on south dakota but you know that might be a drive to get to your state capital or whatever you need to go for some of this information so know ahead for that as well what what you need to do and where you need to go to do it so basically you need to know your states i mean we are not going to be able to cover every state because that would be like a 50 part series plus guam and we don't want to do that not yet so i i see a future episode i see a future broadcast now we'll work on that off offline so after you uh, get all your licensure fees paid and you get all your everything from your state saying yes you are officially an advanced practitioner now now you got to get a job. Yeah, so you worked this hard and you want that money. You got to go get the job to go with it. Now, here is also a point of contention and it's probably something we are going to cover in a future episode, but where you are at is also going to dictate some of your job options, your job compensation, benefits, etc. Know what you kind of want ahead of, ahead of time, but some wise advice that somebody gave me was, your first job does not have to be your last job. So keep that in mind. If you are not finding everything perfect the way you want, realize that maybe a job now will give you some time, money, and experience to allow you to get to that job that you do want. And I will say on as far as jobs... When you get to that point where you, you know we're step five now, you know you're certified and you're ready to go. And you get that job. Take a second, listen to episode two, it's where we talk about contract negotiations. You know some of the feedback that I heard back on that was several practitioners had said they wish they had had that episode prior to signing their contract for their first job. So take a take an hour and listen to that episode. Yeah, I, I was glad to see some positive feedback when people were saying that to us, like, hey. I wish I'd known that, or, geez, I didn't think of that for CEUs. Whatever it is, any little thing that helps, we're, we're glad, and that's why we did that episode. So you got the job, or you're looking for the job. Some of the things you need to you need to pay attention to if you're worried about your job or your job market, Sam the fact checker, I think his assistant Kyle, brought us some information. Uh, it was from the U.S. News and World Report, and they did a collaboration with, uh, or they cited the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. Nurse practitioners, or the nurse practitioner field, is expected to go up by 35% by 2024. They're expecting us to add over 44,000 jobs, and for our brothers and sisters, 
See what I did there, Ben? For our brothers and sisters that are physician's assistants, they're expecting you to go up by 33,000 job positions by 2022. Now, that does not mean if you're in a saturated market, everything is going to get hunky-dory for you. But there is light at the end of this tunnel. I still like brethren and sisterin, just want you to say. Well, <laughs> where we speak English here, it would not be brethren and sisterin, though. Now I kind of want to say, you know what? That's it. I'm saying brethren and sisterin from now on. There, there you go. go. That's that's just, that's it. That's the new word. And that's how you make a word, ladies and gentlemen. That is that is how you do that. Bang. But <laughs> to get back to this sisterin that are listening to this, the point is, is I... I'm on several forums, and there are places that are having some problems. Uh, I know for a fact, I shouldn't say I know for a fact, I know I have seen multiple times people discussing the St. Louis area in Missouri, and pretty much most of the major cities in Tennessee are saying that they are so overrun with advanced practitioners that they are having difficulty finding employment or employment that they believe is at the standard they want again going back to the contract negotiation episode there is information you need to know such as what is your salary points and they're having trouble finding that because of job saturation in those markets there's light at the end of the tunnel but we got some work to do as a profession so you got your you got your job prospects you found what you're looking for like i said refer back to prior episodes for stuff that you want for your job what do you do next ben you have to have an NPI number. And this is something that they didn't necessarily cover that I recall in school for us. It was just one of those things where you kind of had to figure that out or you had to hope that your job knew what they were doing and it wasn't a new practice bringing in you as a new provider and they've never had a advanced practitioner before. Perhaps we should have added this towards the job, but basic networking or networking that you'll get with your job some of that wisdom from the NPs and PAs that have just been through this, they'll be able to help you out with this. And they're like, oh, yeah, you definitely need to do ABC, whatever it is. But getting your NPI, it's a pretty simple and quick process. You go to a website, and you fill out some information, and you'll be able to generate a number. One of the important pieces of information I would make sure you know is that this is a national provider identifier is that correct yeah that's, that's NPI. what NPI stands for national provider identifier the website is NPPES if you google that that actually stands for the national plan and provider enumeration system so it assigns you a 10 digit code or 10 digit NPI number and that is your NPI number that follows you anywhere else you go that gets attached to all your DME orders, to everything. that You have to have that number, and that number is searchable, uh, either by name or even by the number. That's why we, in this instance, included it after getting the job, because you don't want to get, you know, put the cart before the horse and apply for your NPI number and then list your home address, and then anybody who wants to potentially search that could potentially get information about you that you don't necessarily want out there yes that's that's the point i was going to get to was when you have that job and that address use that job as the address for business purposes when you're doing your npi etc because of exactly what ben just said if somebody wants to look you up whatever you put in there to the npi is public information they are going to be able to find it or look it up. So if you put your house, you know, 123 Elm Street, guess what? 
everybody that looks up your NPI number is going to know what your personal address is. And the other thing that they do use your NPIs for is when you have the drug reps come into the clinics and they bring you lunch and you sign off and say, yeah, I, I received a lunch, a lot of that gets tracked through your NPI number as well. And so that is actually through searchable data through uh, certain websites. They can tell how much you received from certain medical companies or certain pharmaceutical companies regards to benefits. And it's not all scary. Uh, some of the, the positive, first of all, the MPI overall is a great great idea. I think that's one of the few things I would say the government actually got correct in this instance was being able to tie that number to us and being able to track what we're doing, etc. Another good thing is for future negotiations or future contracts is you are able to talk about, like, I believe you can track your billable hours. Is that correct, Ben? You're able to track your information like that through it? That I don't know. We'll play it oh. I don't know. Well, Sam and Kyle <laughs> better get on that. But there is, there is useful information that you were able to glean from using your NPI number. Once you have your job, you can get your NPI number. And it's, a like, again, they tell you you have up to 24 hours, but it's a, usually a fairly simple and quick process. You get your NPI number, and then you got to start paying money for some of your next stuff. Yeah, that's uh, the end of the free aspects of what you're going to get. You know, the NPI is free. I believe it says on the website when I signed up that it could take up to seven days to receive my NPI number. I got it back in about 20 minutes. Um, yeah, same here. Yeah, it, it told you, you you could have to wait for X amount of time, which I don't remember, but I got it seriously with I for sure within an hour. But after you get that NPI number and after you're ready to go, one of the final pieces that you're going to need and one of the more expensive pieces is your DEA number. Now, it is important to note that not every person is going to need a DEA. I needed it. I know Ben needed it. You may either A, work for a business that does not want advanced practitioners getting it or using it, or if you're in a state that requires standard care agreements between a physician and the advanced practitioner, they may not allow it. So this is important to know with your job what what your requirements are. But if you do need it, there's a few things you need to know. First off is the cost, and that's one of the things, you know, in contract negotiations that you hope to work out with the entity that's employing you if they want you to have the DEA number. The cost is $751 for a three-year DEA number, and you do have to recertify that every three years. I had to pay 731 so maybe I got a deal. But yeah, it's, it's definitely, either way, it's over $700. And I had to convince myself it was an investment in my, my future when I was paying that much money to the DEA to get this little number. And what is that little number, what's that allow you to do, Tom? Is that just well, describing it, anything? Or? Well, when you were filling out the information, what I would tell you is you apply for specific schedules of drugs. So you can apply for 2 through 5A, I think is what yeah, the, the, the way it goes. You, uh, you tell them what you think you can or will be prescribing and then they will do the background check from that point forward. And if you do not fill it out correctly, as I found out from special agent whoever, they will tell you, uh, no, you need to come back and fix this before we can continue your, your check. So it's not just a gimme. There is actually legitimate uh, special agents with a DEA researching you to give you this number. Yeah, I have, 
I've also talked to the DEA one time. I had an incident where I had a, some prescriptions stolen off of my prescription pad. Go into that some other day, I'm sure. But I thought, oh, I need to, especially because it was being written for controlled substances, so I thought, I need to call the DEA, and I need to let them know that this is happening, this isn't me. And so I call the number for the local DEA agent, or DEA office, and... Yeah, the, the first lady was very nice, you know, DEA, how can I help you? I explained the situation. She says, just a moment. And then somebody else got on the phone, and it was a special agent. I don't know who. I still, to this day, don't know who I was talking to. It was a very short and sweet conversation, and it was, this is the DEA, yes. And I explained my situation. He's like, shouldn't be a problem, thanks. And that was about the end of it. So <laughs> they, they don't mess around with the DEA. Having been in law enforcement before I was a nurse, there are people in jobs that don't interact well with everybody else. And apparently this DE agent is one of those guys. Maybe that's how he ended up on receiving phone call duty. I'm not exactly sure. But there are legitimate... I guess the point I'm trying to get to you is there is going to be a legitimate purpose behind this. When you get this number, they are paying attention. They are tracking it. There is a real other person on the other side of that computer screen that is going to go through your business. So please make sure you're aware that this is you're, – you're starting to get into serious water here is what I'm trying to say. When you start getting into DEA licensure – and we're going to talk about a couple other possible requirements you may need. But the DEA number I think is, is one of the big ones because that is part of our prescription authority and it, it gives us the power to make those prescriptions. That kind of, like you said, kind of goes back to the, your state and what your state allows also. The state that I practice in is a little bit less restrictive as far as DEA. We can prescribe Schedule 2 through Schedule 5 here. Our brethren and sistren in Missouri, a lot of them have let their DEAs lapse because it's not worth it to them to have that expense because I believe it's Schedule 4 and Schedule 5 that they can prescribe, and it's only like a 7 to 10-day supply, I believe, so it's not worth it to have that expense. Here in Ohio, we are on the forefront of the opiate crisis. I mean, everybody's feeling it. That That's not news. I'm just saying, in general, Ohio is either at the top or the top of the list of areas that is having problems. The legislature here, good or bad, depending on how you look at it, has really come down on advanced practice, advanced practitioners and prescribing controlled substances. So we do have limits, and that also extends into our standard care agreements, our SCAs, if you hear me say SCA throughout the episode. That's what it stands for. It is important to also know your state rules and regulations. Also, Unlike your NPI, which never changes, here's a little fun fact. Your DEA number will change depending on your prescriptive authority. For instance, in Ohio, we use a Suboxone is a drug that is used to try and help opiate-addicted uh, persons get over their addiction. If you become Suboxone certified, you will get an X-started number. Like my current DEA starts with an M. But if you go to Suboxone certification and training, you will get an X number. So that is a number that you will have to actually keep track of somewhere because it will change from time to time depending on what you're doing and how you're using it. And obviously because we're kind of directing this at students, don't think, oh, no one's going to know if I'm writing these prescriptions or if you feel like you're writing excessive amounts, think, oh, no one's going to know about it. That shit is tracked very, very closely. I know here we get a quarterly report of 
how many prescriptions we have written from the state uh, based off our DEA, what our most frequent prescriptions written are, and in comparison to other practitioners in the state. That's their way to try to help combat the opioid problem. Yeah, very similar process here. Plus, we have to use, and I know Kansas has like K-Tracks. In Ohio, we have what they call an ORS report. So not only you could track what you're prescribing, what you're doing, and like he said, that is very, very closely monitored, especially when you're talking Schedule Two medication. They are going to be all over that. They want to know what you're doing, when you're doing it, why you're doing it, the reasoning, etc. All that has got to be documented. Maybe that, maybe we're talking about a future episode is documentation for prescriptions, but you have to have all that, and then you can actually track the other people that are prescribing or, or the other pharmacies that are giving said medications to your patients through like ORs or K-Tracks. Yeah, there are 49 states in the union that have prescription monitoring software. Who the hell is the one state that doesn't have this? It's Oklahoma, isn't it? It's not Oklahoma, but you're close. Oh, okay. It's Missouri. Oh, Jesus. Criminally. Come on, Missouri. Missouri is the one state to this point as of this recording, uh, they do not have a fully functional prescription monitoring system. I guess I figured it was just Oklahoma because the only thing they worry about down there is like Slim Jims and Sasquatch. I don't know what they're doing down there. So if you're in Oklahoma, yes, I'm saying that to you. And Ohio is still a better place than Oklahoma. Deal with it. And if you're in Oklahoma and you want to send hate mail, you can send that to at just some podcast on Facebook, ahead, Twitter, or specif- Instagram. Yeah, specify it's for Tom. I said it. I'll go at it. I don't care. Like, other than the nurse practitioners of PAs in Oklahoma, what are they going to do? Like, they're going to write it in hieroglyphics anyways. I don't, like, can they write down there? I don't know. So I'm not worried about what they have to say to me. So I'm kidding. I'm joking, Oklahoma. I love you. You had an awesome play, I guess, written about you once. I don't know, something. So yay, Oklahoma. There you go. You got Bob Stoops. Hey. There you go. He's from Ohio. That's one good thing for you. So, Didn't Baker Mayfield plant the OU flag in Ohio's stadium? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and here's the sad part, and I'm not going to go too far down this road, but the thing is, is he did win. So as mad as I wanted to be at him, I was like, well, he kind of got us. (laughs) I don't want to like Oklahoma, but they did, in fact, beat us. So... You know what? If victors go the spoils, you win, Baker, uh, Baker Mayfield. But joke's on him. He's in Cleveland now. Hmm. I was just getting ready to say that. Now, did he really win? Because he's playing for the Browns. Yeah. Well, in Cleveland, a tie is basically a win. Think about that for a minute. <laughs> I love I love my Browns, but jeez, I'm nutly those guys. Okay. All right, let's so, move on. Yes. Some, some, of the other, some of the other stuff you uh, might be job-specific. Uh just make sure you are in good contact with the administration that oversees, like, your med exec staff. You know, every hospital is going to have, like, different names for the credentialing people, whatever. Uh, usually it's some kind of medical executive staff or the people that work on the medical executive staff, and they will get with you because they don't make money if they can't bill off you. So trust me, they will get a hold of you and start telling you, just make sure you fill it out in a timely process. There's other websites or other things you can do. Like there's one like CAQH I had to do for one of the hospitals I'm working at. It just allows like quicker billing through insurance, etc. But just know that there are going to be hoops that you're going to have to jump through, certifications that you are going to be required to keep track of 
like your DEA, like the CAQH, etc. Yeah, for us, we're a rural health clinic, so there's certain criteria that went into that and certain applications that we had to sign and fill out. And then I believe we also even had to do training for like Medicare fraud and abuse, different things you got to do through that. Well, we had to do training for Medicare fraud and abuse and also for radiation exposure. So I'm still waiting on the, yeah, yeah, no joke. So I had to do that for radiation exposure. So still waiting for Sam and Kyle to get back with me on the information on possible hulking out. But uh, they are apparently getting tea and crumpets, whatever they're doing right now. So when they get back to us, we'll have some more on that Hulk situation that is a possibility with radiation exposure. So let's get into what would be our final thought as far as what you should do as a getting out of school and going into nurse practitioner or advanced practitioner. And that would be make sure you're involved with your local and state organizations. Well, and I would actually point out, I don't think that this last one is just student-based. I think this is something that maybe people that have been an NP or a PA for a couple of years, they haven't really thought about it. It's better to start as a student so that your feet are wet. At the same time, though, anybody that is involved as being an advanced practitioner, if you're listening, please get involved in your state, local, regional, district, national, whatever it is. Your boards and organizations that help support your profession, get involved. They are your voice. The power of numbers. And I have given speeches at conferences in regards to legislative issues. And if you are not involved in the conversation, don't think that that doesn't mean that your practice will not be impacted potentially. Just because you aren't saying something doesn't mean it's not going to happen to you. And I think that's important. I think so many times people, especially in the beginning, they're like, oh, well, I don't have to worry about this. No, you do have to worry about this. The minute you become a nurse, a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant, the world does not stop spinning because you're so important all of a sudden. You have to be involved in this process. And if you want this profession to continue to grow, to continue to get better, and to succeed, we all have to work on this together. That's true. And you know, there was an instance over the summer in Mississippi where... Shocker. Mississippi. <laughs> there was a instance in Mississippi over the summer that Medicaid sent out letters saying, hey, we're not going to accept uh, or we're not going to pay for DME from any nurse practitioner. So there is a, there's probably a couple reasons why stuff like this happened. But most likely it involves somebody saying that this wasn't a good idea anymore and not having the power or the voice at the state legislature level to be able to combat it for nurse practitioners or PAs. If they had a stronger voice, they could have possibly gone forward to whoever submitted this bill or whoever certified this movement and said, hey, we really need to get this fixed, and here's why. Because I got 50,000 NPs with me, and they all say the same thing. That's how you get your voice heard. I mean, you have to have a good point. I'm not just saying you can just bully people. Well, I guess you could just bully people with numbers. But you shouldn't. You should actually have a good point. What I'm trying to say, though, is if you're not involved in the process, you're going to get left out in the wind. And you're not going to have anything to say about it. Be involved. Know what's going on. There's good things that are happening. It's not all bad like Mississippi. It's not all bad stuff like that. Uh, currently in Ohio, we are submitting a state bill right now so that 
nurse practitioners and physician assistants, well, nurse practitioners for sure, it is. it does not apply to PAs as far as I know, but nurse practitioners will be having independent practice. Yeah, we're uh, looking at submitting a similar bill uh, this year for Kansas as well. Um, and there are 22 states plus D.C., I believe, that currently have independent practice or full practice authority for nurse practitioners. Your practice could potentially change around you, good or bad. Good or bad, but you're not going to know unless you're involved, is what we're trying to get at. It's a benefit to everybody. If you're the one listening to this podcast, you having a voice impacts me talking about it. It literally is one of those things that reaches out and touches everyone involved. So please, it is not a subject to be taken lightly. It is of the most importance that we are all working together on this. And new or old, first-time listener, last-time listener, whatever, especially if you're from Oklahoma, that you come out and you get involved and, you know, start start at your local level or, you know, network out with some of the other people and say, hey, what organizations are you part of? Like, get involved with the Ohio Board of Advanced Practitioners and kind of go forward from there. You know, I'm not saying you have to become the president of your association, but when they send out a letter that says, hey, we're, we're pressing for independent authority, we would like your support, can you contact your congressman? Contact your congressman. Have the conversation. And when we have new providers come into our organization, that's one of the first things that I asked them. was like, hey, do you know about the local organization? I, I do sit on the board for my local organization as well as the state organization for nurse practitioners. And so I do try to be an advocate and say, hey, if you're not aware of what's going on or if you're not part of this, you need to join so that you know what's going on. If, if for no other reason than to know what's going on. This would be like trying to treat diabetes and not know about insulin. Exactly. And People are, are nothing you'll hear quite often when we have this discussion is people will be like, well, I don't want to get involved in politics. You don't have to be involved in politics directly. You have to be involved in your own self-promotion as a professional. That's what that's what we're ultimately speaking about. I'm not telling you you have to re- support a Democrat. You don't have to support a Republican. Whatever you choose to do, that that's great. What I'm saying is you need to support nurse practitioners. You need to support physician assistants. Anything else you want to add to that, Tom? Well, and I guess that really applies to any, like, our brethren and sisterin. See, you like in, the words. You do. I do. I, it's growing on me. But, you know, our brethren and sisterin that are maybe registered nurses that are listening to this... If we have any of the general public that has decided to listen to this and they're just wanting to know like our thoughts and input on healthcare, be be involved in what's going on in your profession and know what's know what's going on around you and what's going on out there. But that's really that's pretty much it for me. And the last thing that I want to add because it kind of popped in my brain is when you get out and you're ready to start seeing patients, you need to remember that your name is your brand now. Anything that you do, positively or negatively, is going to potentially impact your future. If you are very supportive of local athletics and you donate to the Booster Club, great. If you donate to other things, that's wonderful. But the flip side of that is if the front desk forgets to check somebody in and they sit out in the lobby for 45 minutes... And they're pissed off. It's going to be your fault. Or ultimately, it's going to be your fault. They're not going to remember the front desk. They're going to say, yeah, I had an appointment with Ben, and I had to sit there for an hour, and I had to wait. 
that negativeness is going to also potentially impact you because those people talk and they talk on Facebook and anybody who's listening to this knows that knows that if you are not part of that conversation or if you don't put that narrative out yourself to an extent someone else will put it out for you and maybe that just made me think maybe that's a possible future episode like office communication etc something like that but he's absolutely 100% correct and he would know better than I because we have a little different setup in our two clinics but generally ultimately at the end of the day that's what they're going to remember is the provider they came there to see they're going to hold you ultimately responsible for their satisfaction of their visit and so if your nurse is in a pissy mood that day and smart something off again that's all going to come back on your name your name is your brand you do what you have to do to protect that and that all ties into being a nurse practitioner and all other stuff you are now ben nurse practitioner i am now tom nurse practitioner that's why we we find it so important to take care of your brand and your profession well tom i think we can put a wrap on episode three i do before we wrap it up completely i just want to give some feedback that we've heard in regards to our other episodes somebody had mentioned something to us in regards to the contract episode about maybe we could have went more in depth on rvus in particular we will we feel that would be better tied into a billing episode which we're working on so we will go into more rvus in depth but beyond that, I think it's been really pretty positive feedback on what we're doing. Until we get all these emails about Oklahoma, just saying. Are you just going to systematically piss every state off as we go? <laughs> every state except for Ohio. <laughs> of course. Hey, Sam, do you have that? Nope. Nope, Sam and Kyle still don't have that information. So apparently uh, we're just going to have to find out about Sasquatches and Hulks later. I like that we're three episodes in and we've already expanded our staff, uh, doubled our staff, actually, and we still have no income coming in. <laughs> Thank God they are hard workers for free or whatever they do. I'm not really sure what they do, to be completely honest. I'm not sure they know what they completely do either. So, Anyway, let's uh, put an end to this. Let's bury this episode. And I don't know that we... Again, kind of like last time, we don't have a specific episode set up for next week. But if you have some ideas, get with us. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Just Some Podcast. Or you can always reach us on our website, www.podcast.com. Is it www.justsomepodcast.com? Yeah, we'll let, I'll edit that out. We're going to edit that out. So it's www.justsomepodcast.com. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, Jack Links will... Is that the... Sasquatch Beef Jerky Company. Maybe they'll support us now. Not after your uh, assault on the great state of Oklahoma. Well, if they've ever been to Oklahoma, they'd agree with me. So, this is Tom signing off. This has been. Have a great week.